This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's going to be a thrilling night tonight. Like I said before, uh, it's not going to be a wave, but it can be still be a, a good election for Democrats. Yeah, it was definitely not a wave. That's James Carville on MSNBC last night. Here's, here's what I take, and I want to ask our guest about this. I, If I'm a Democrat, I think, yeah, we lost to Ted Cruz, barely, right. in Texas. Yep. Yeah, we lost in Florida, the governorship, barely lost running a socialist. That's incredible to me if I'm a progressive. There's a lot to like for everybody last night, I think, and uh, we've asked Lonnie Chen to join us. Lonnie, uh, a favorite guest of the Armstrong and Getty audience, director of the Domestic Policy Studies, lecturer at Stanford University, also the David and Diane Steffi Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution. Lonnie, how are you, sir? Good morning. Did you guys get any sleep last night? Oh, yeah, a little bit. And a little fine Cabernet Sauvignon got me through the evening. But our, our lead question, to what extent, what percentage of James Carville's appeal is his accent? 125. <laughs> What's your headline out of last night? For you personally, what do you, what do you, how did you read the nation? Well, I, you know, I think it is one of those situations where we saw each side uh, kind of go respectively farther toward... Uh, toward its base. I think for the Democrats, 
what you saw last night was the opportunity to celebrate uh, some big wins in the House, no question about it. But you saw President Trump's popularity continue to decline uh, in parts of the country where it already wasn't very high. And on the Republican side, you saw them pick up Senate seats, which I think a lot of people were surprised by that notion going into last night. But it's kind of inevitable if you think about the polarization we're experiencing in our country. And the states where President Trump is popular, that popularity got those Senate candidates across the finish line. And so you see this polarization intensifying, and it's just a harbinger of things to come in the Congress, unfortunately, over these next couple of years. Boy, California went lefter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you saw, you, you know, you saw that in all the statewide races. The, the one that I was really keeping an eye on was this insurance commissioner race that featured Steve Poisoner, who was running as an independent against Ricardo Lara, who you know, essentially has been a, 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 you know, a not, not, not incredibly accomplished uh, state legislator for some number of years. And a lot of people thought that Poison would be able to pull that off. It's a very close race within about a point and a half, but it looks like Laura is, is in the lead now. So, so even if you're a completely nondescript, not accomplished, union loyalist legislator who's really accomplished very little, if you have a D next to your name, you can beat a guy who's quite popular and served in that office successfully. Yeah, and by the way, he was endorsed by every single newspaper right. in the state. Every you know, I mean, it's, single it's, one. It's, it's incredible. That, it's, it's, it's really incredible. That is amazing. Um, what do you make of what I said that uh, a, a Democrat almost won the Senate seat in Texas and a socialist almost won the governorship in Florida? Is, is that the direction we're going? Well, you know, it's a great point. If you think about Andrew Gillum, the uh, gubernatorial candidate for the Democrats in Florida, or you think about Stacey Abrams, the gubernatorial candidate in Georgia, who, you know, that, that race is, is still close. I guess she's not conceded yet. And, and you think about Beto O'Rourke in Texas, who is a Democrat. What you see is you see the future face of, of where the Democratic Party is headed. And that has huge implications for 2020 as we think about what kind of presidential candidate that party is going to field to go against Donald Trump. What we are seeing is we're seeing the writing on the wall in terms of the kinds of candidates that Democrats like. And the, the, the concern here is that Democrats actually do have a, an opportunity to win the presidency in 2020, but they're not going to win it with candidates like Andrew Gillum and Stacey Abrams. But that's where all the energy in the party is. And, and, and that's if I were a Democrat, that's what I'd be most worried about going forward. Where's the energy on the Republican side? Well, you know, I think it's with Donald Trump. I mean, it, you know, it, what you saw last night was reversion to form in all of these states. You know, a, a perfect example, in Indiana, the U.S. Senate race there was supposed to be very close. All the polling had it within a couple points. In fact, most of the polling had the incumbent Democrat winning by a very small margin. But if you look at the exit polling in that state that talks about how popular Donald Trump was, and you look at how well the Republican Senate candidate did, the realization I think everyone has this morning is in areas where Donald Trump is popular, that's where all the energy is. And, and that really is part of the reason why Republicans were able to do as well as they were in a number of these states. So, it, 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 you know, we can debate in California about the merits of Donald Trump, and it's very easy for us to do that here. But if you go to a state like Indiana or a place like Missouri where the Republican Josh Hawley won big, it is quite clear that those guys are there largely because of the popularity of Donald Trump. Hey, did you call your old boss Mitt Romney or uh, tweet, text at him or anything like that? He's, uh, he's going to be a U.S. senator. Very exciting. Very exciting times. I mean, I think he is somebody who will be 
just a great presence in the Senate. And it, it was exciting to see his name on the ballot again, and it was exciting to see him victorious after having having not been the last time his name was on the ballot, obviously. So for those of us who've worked with him and spent time with him, it's a really gratifying moment. I think he's going to do a great job for people in Utah. So Nancy Pelosi is out last night right away saying, look, we're not going to go after impeaching President Trump. Those of you who want to do that, that's not where we're headed. On the other hand, you know, there's the subpoena talk from various people, and Adam Schiff's got the gavel now to try to go after Trump's taxes. Do you, do you think the Democrats are going to go big with the investigations or try to go with the angle of we're going to accomplish things that our populist likes? Well, here's the problem. I think Nancy Pelosi said all the right things last night. She said, look, you know, we're not going to to overreach. We're going to pursue our priorities, but we're going to try and work with the president where we can. I mean, I think she said all the right things. The problem is I'm not sure she's got control of her members in, 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 in the Congress. I'm not sure she's going to be able to dictate what every single member says and does for the next two years. And surely there will be people, there will be a number of people who will come in and from day one will be, will be, will be hitting this drum on impeachment. They'll be talking about ways to resist the president at every turn. And I don't think that's the right strategy for them. But, but Nancy Pelosi cannot stop that from happening. There is so much within her party, so many forces within her party that are pushing in the opposite direction. She can try as hard as she can to keep people disciplined. But surely there will be elements of her party. And I don't mean just mean small elements. I mean potentially 20, 30, 40 members of, of her caucus in, in, in the Congress who are going to want to uh, resist Trump at every turn. And I think, you know, while, while that makes for good politics in New York City or maybe San Francisco, I don't think it's very smart when you think about where their party is headed and what they need to do to win in 2020. So we'll see what happens, but I don't have a lot of confidence she's going to be able to hold everyone in line. Hmm. Speaking of which, what do you suspect will be the legislative path forward in terms of health care policy, which is uh, number one on many, many people's lists of most important uh, issues? Well, yeah, I think, we, I think we saw how important it was last night, and I think we saw the, the price that some Republicans paid uh, for repeal and replace of Obamacare without really being able to articulate a, a solution that, that, that could win, frankly, that was able to get uh, passed in Congress and was able to demonstrate an alternative. I, I think that there are sort of two different pathways here. One is Republicans are going to have to figure out a way to address health care in a way that people – uh, understand and can say, ah, they've got a plan. They've got a way of dealing, for example, with pre-existing conditions. And even if that means saying, look, we've got a whole bunch of reforms, for example, that we want to get states more power and more authority, but we're not going to touch the protections in Obamacare for pre-existing conditions. And, and I think Republicans do need to, to think about going back at health care again and addressing it in a very real and pragmatic way. The, the other option is to avoid it. And I think if they avoid it, they'll avoid short-term pain. But this is going to be an issue that's going to be back in 2020, which is why I still come back to the conclusion they're going to have to do something about it between now and then. We have split government now. Sometimes that means we get more conciliatory and that people realize, okay, we got to reach across the aisle if we want to get anything done, blah, blah, blah. Over the next two years, and you're a guy, I think we know you well enough, you, you like policy-driven civil discussions. Do we go more toward that or more away from that over the next two years? I fear that we go away from it because the, the polarization is only accentuated. When you have the Democrats controlling the House, 
They have a they have a platform. They have one branch of government. And if and if you think Trump's going to become more conciliatory, that I have a very difficult time believing as well. <laughs> because you know, th- think about it this way: we already know he doesn't particularly like it when people are poking and prodding at elements of his financial background, of his family's financial background, what do you think the House Democrats are going to do? What do you think the chairman of the House Oversight Committee is going to do? It's going to be investigation after investigation. Adam Schiff already said something about, about Trump's tax returns. Do you honestly think that Donald Trump is going to sit there and, and do nothing when the Democrats are, are, are out there investigating every element of his life, essentially giving him a proctological exam on a daily basis? I have a very difficult time seeing that dynamic playing out well oh, wow. in, 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 in terms of us being in, in a conciliatory mindset. Yeah, so you know, when you I, say it like that, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't I mean, look good. That's really what it is. Yeah. You know? Lonnie Chen is the David and Diane Staffy Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Director of Domestic Policy Studies Lecturer at Stanford. You know, it's funny, as Jack was asking that question, you were answering, is it going to be more uh, bipartisan or, le- or more partisan? I, I think the answer is probably both. Um, certainly from the cable news point of view, from the headline-grabbing point of view, it's going to be you know firecrackers chucked in both directions day in and day out i do think there is at least some chance for a little legislative uh way forward if only in you know popular stuff infrastructure and maybe some healthcare reform or am i a naive sap well infrastructure is the number one i sort of have it as the number one most most likely area where there could be some reconciliation there could be something that has to get done because uh, you know, look, both Democrats and Republicans can agree that we have we have some real crappy infrastructure around the country. And anyone who's flown out of LaGuardia Airport recently knows exactly what I'm talking about, uh, or, or really any other airport uh, in, in the United States. And so th- there's a need for that. I would also say they've got to work together. Republicans and Democrats have to work together to get the government funded every year anyway. So as part of that process, yes, I think there will get there, there will be some small bipartisan victories. But the meta-narrative, the larger trend in terms of how Democrats and Republicans interact, that's what I worry about. And I worry about us going farther and farther into the hole. Because, yeah, look, no, no one likes to sit there and watch cable news all day, but, but there clearly is something that those guys are doing uh, that, that's working for their ratings and that's driving us further apart. Uh, no doubt. Final question, Lonnie, uh, looking at the California results in which California voters uh, missed almost no opportunities to spend or borrow more money. Uh, Also true of uh, Bay Area elections and and, uh, in L.A. County. Um, Every opportunity to spend and borrow was taken almost. Uh, What is California's fiscal health right now? Well, I, I, I think for the short run, we've been living off of the sugar high of a good economy. And I think the question is what happens when it turns the other direction. You know, our tax base in California is incredibly volatile. We depend a lot on capital gains taxes. And that means we depend a lot on a good economy, a good stock market, and the tech boom. And what we see in California is when that's when it all goes south, our state really struggles. And so while it's cute for Californians to decide they can borrow and spend more now. That bill will come due, and it will come due very soon. I think at some point we've got to examine the public initiative process. This notion that people can go, that legislators in Sacramento, instead of doing their job, can say, hey, you guys as the voters, you take the responsibility to borrow and spend more. You take the responsibility to make hard choices. You see what happens. Because no one likes to make hard choices. You know, no one likes to eat the broccoli first. And unfortunately, 
you saw this last night. You saw more borrowing, more spending, and I do worry about where it's taking our state. Lonnie Chen, David and Diane Steffi, Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution. Uh, big, big deal at Stanford University. He's, he's a big dealer. He doesn't even have to wear a shirt. I mean, he's <laughs> a big deal. Lonnie, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. All right, yeah, you got it. He's right. The initiative oh, yeah, process. He can walk across the quad shirtless. Nobody even questions him. I'm sorry, you were saying something? The initiative process is it's got to go. You can't, oh, it's you, can't you can't trust the voters to figure it out. Couldn't figure out that prop 6 was the gas tax. You know, and and you know, good on the the forces of bad who worded it in such a way that it was hard to figure out. But yep. evil one. And you can't trust people to handle uh, state government any different than they handle their own lives. You run up credit cards and you think, "I'll worry about paying for it some other day. I'll be dead by then. What difference does it make?" Right. Right. It's uh, disappointing. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it is remarkable looking at the electoral maps of various states. I'm looking at Oregon right now. Coastal Oregon is entirely blue. Geographically, it's about a quarter of the state. The entirety of the rest of the state is red. You look at California, it is coastally blue, and with a few exceptions, the rest of the state is red. The divide in this country is so urban suburban urban rural yeah. and, and 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 people only talk about it in terms of elections people don't talk about it in terms of government governance and needs and the way the country ought to be run and expectations of the government completely different you're listening to the Armstrong and Getty show Armstrong and Getty the conscience of the nation The Armstrong and Getty Show. Well, uh, if they want to impeach President Trump, I would give them some advice. I've been there, done that with Clinton. Didn't work out for us. <laughs> I would think twice about it. There you go. And Nancy Pelosi announced as much. She is not uh, interested in pursuing impeachment. Although our guest Lonnie Chen, we just talked to, said, I'm not sure Nancy has control of that situation. We will see. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Headline oh, being, there's... of course, the Dems now control, or will start January 20th, controlling the House of Representatives. The Republicans will have even more strength in the U.S. Senate. So the good news, if you are a Democrat, is clearly that the House was taken. It was a rebuke for Trump. Uh, his legislative agenda will now have to get through a Democrat House, and good luck with that. Although you, um, almost all big things happen in your first couple of years as president. That's just the way it is. So right. who knows that that much was going to happen anyway. Right. On the other hand, if you're a Republican, the uh, taking of the House was actually uh, on the very small side. It's a small majority for the, the Democrats. It was a uh, smaller rebuke than generally happens two years into every damn president's first term right. for some reason. Uh, the Republicans strengthened their majority in the Senate, which, in terms of appointing judges, conservative judges, for the next two years, will be, uh, I mean, they're in great position for that. 
So if that's important to you, you have that going. But back to Nancy Pelosi in the House, there are louder rumblings about chucking the current leader than I ever remember hearing, with the exception of Newt Gingrich, who just ran roughshod over everybody in both parties um, and ended up getting chucked. So can Nancy hold on to the job? To what extent will she be able to control the caucus? That'll be interesting to watch. Mm. Well, you know, the government will grind on as usual. You know, it's the day after Election Day, so we're talking about this stuff a lot. I recommend you don't tie up your identity, your heart, your soul, and all that you find important in life and freaking politics. Go raise your family, work at your job, volunteer in the community, take up a hobby or something like that. Politics is corrosive and sickening. Read to your kids. Yeah, Do something like that. No, I did like this. Like a sample ballot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For instance, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, a Twitter account called uh, God. Somebody got the... The God Twitter account uh, at the tweet of God and somebody else, Eric, somebody or other tweeted a picture of a a beautiful rainbow and at the bottom of the rainbow, at the end of the rainbow is the United States Capitol. And Eric, what's his name, tweets, dear God, let this be a good sign. And God tweeted back at him. I'd love to tell you this is a sign from me, but it's actually just a promotion for a gay bar in Georgetown. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious! So there is your electoral note of the day. I wish us luck. We'll never know for sure, (laughs) unless there are parallel universes where we can check out a different result, Um, what the Kavanaugh effect was. Would the Dems have picked up 20 more seats if it weren't for the overplaying of their hand on the Kavanaugh thing? Who knows? It could be, although they got a majority. I definitely think Kavanaugh fired up Republican voters to hold on to the Senate. There's no question. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi, no impeachment. She's got her eyes on another target. And once again, the West is sending a dead guy to Congress and China's new gate recognition surveillance techniques. And the particular dead guy that won is very interesting. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. I like me some Ben Shapiro. I don't know if you know his act, but he's an interesting thinker. Anyway, he just tweeted, All the talk about Republican victories tonight does obscure a problem. Dems won in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. If Trump loses those states, he loses re-election. Um, He's talking about governorships. Right, so Scott Walker lost in Wisconsin? Yeah, yeah, he lost by several points. Now, he was running for his third term. (laughs) There's a certain amount of, let's try somebody new in there, when you've been around that long. Yeah, and he did a lot of things that were really controversial, particularly on the left, and fired him up. I like Ben Shapiro's next uh, tweet. Get ready for the 2020 nightmare scenario. Trump wins Wisconsin, loses Michigan and Pennsylvania, and loses all four votes in Maine, 269 to 269 tie. Election thrown to the House, presided over by Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Oh, wow. Man. An exciting result two years from today. (laughs) Uh, Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, President Trump is going to be holding a news conference this morning, the day after the midterms. It's going to be at 8.30 West Coast time. This comes a day after the 2018 elections, which saw the Democrats take control of the House. Republicans increased their majority in the Senate. And as far as the Democrats uh, taking the control of the House, House Democratic Leader Nancy Pelosi says 
That means a stronger check on the Trump administration, not necessarily trying to impeach the president, rather... It's about stopping the GOP and Mitch McConnell's assaults on Medicare, Medicaid, the Affordable Care Act, and the health care of 130 million Americans living with pre-existing medical conditions. Let's hear it more for pre-existing medical conditions. Yay! Yes! Yes, I'm in favor of pre-existing conditions. I've got one of those, and I hate it. Am I supposed to be cheering my pre-existing medical conditions? People who don't have them, we should sicken them. (laughs) Nancy is old and gaff-prone. This is going to be entertaining. She's a lion on her way out, no doubt about it. When I read that Bob Woodward book about the Obama administration, right. the the when they're trying to come together with the the grand bargain, she was so impressive in that book. But that was fifteen years ago. Mm. How long ago was that? It was a long time. It wasn't that long ago. Um, it was quite a while ago. Yeah. It was right when Obama was elected. I guess I could do the math. Like two thousand nine. But um, she's a much younger woman. Sure. Yeah. We all age. Well, and and not all nine year periods are created equal either. You know, as a guy, nine years between, say, 40 and 49 are a little rough on you. And the years between 65 and 75 are a little rough on folks, too. My dad has said uh, said the same, yeah. Yeah. Well, they did win the House, but some of the Democrats' biggest rising national stars lost. Bernie-backed Democrat Andrew Gillum lost to Republican Ron DeSantis in the governor's race in Florida. A guy who's a socialist barely lost yes. the governorship in, in Florida. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think people put too much emphasis on who ultimately won. Sure. <laughs> there are a whole bunch right. of people that voted for a socialist in Florida, just like there's a whole bunch of people that voted for a Democrat in supposedly red, red, red Texas last night. Yeah, Gillum telling uh, supporters last night, I won't have the blessing of serving as the next governor of the state of Florida. I still plan to be on the front lines right alongside every single one of you. That's him saying, I'll be back. And let me get back to Tejas for a moment. Yes. I read a big piece in Politico a day or two ago. Uh, at, uh, talking about how Beto was told uh, in no uncertain terms by the pollsters and the thinkers and the leaders that, listen, if you run as a moderate, you will kick Ted Cruz's ass. But Beto chose not to. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's going to lose, announced Politico. Well, he is going to lose, but barely. You know, so, you know, that's a two-sided coin. Maybe he could have won if he'd run as moderate, but he's not. Well, and he launched himself on the national stage. Right, right. So... Uh, you know, it's certainly, and you look at the Republicans are now uh, uh, struggling to come up with a version of Obamacare light. The country is veered leftward. Oh, no doubt. At least in terms, uh, in electoral terms, that leftward veer is almost entirely the uh, urban areas of America, right. but they have the population. A dead man has indeed been elected to the Nevada State Assembly. Now that's diversity. Famed brothel owner Dennis Hoff was running as a Trump Friend of the Armstrong and Getty show. We had Dennis Hoff on many times. Indeed. Hoff uh, unexpectedly died last month following a party for his 72nd birthday. Now, it was too late to take a party. Now, that's an October surprise. (laughs) I'm dead. (laughs) It was too late to remove his name from the ballot, so the county clerk's office posted notices at all the polling places alerting voters that the candidate was dead. You know, I, I grew up in Chicago where uh, the dead vote in huge numbers. Yes. So this uh, result wouldn't have surprised me if it had been in the Windy City. So long and short, a dead pimp won in Nevada. Yes. 
<laughs> yes, indeed. Beat his Democratic opponent by 7,000 votes. Hmm. I think he, was it 70% yeah. was what he got? Yeah. It's hard yes. out here for a dead pimp. Indeed. So, um... So then what happens? A live pimp takes his shop, his spot, or... Uh, uh, the Bishop Don Juan St. John shows up in his all green and gold outfits, and uh, he just starts rhyming his way through the uh, the, the, the house there. Well, the Did way not it, know that. The way it reads, the Board of County Commissioners replaces Hoff with another member of his party. But do they have to be a pimp? Or dead? <laughs> I don't think that I don't think that'd help. Uh, perhaps a pimp. That's but the people news. have spoken. We yeah. want procurers of flesh to exactly. represent us. Some sort of live grocery store owner. Why that would be a perversion of democracy. It'd be a betrayal of the voters. Uh, some hard partying flesh peddler. That's yeah. what we want. Yeah, exactly. There's no more still, available. But still alive. <laughs> All right, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. I absolutely love this. I'm zooming through Ben Shapiro's Twitter feed, and there is a, a graphic that was getting a lot of mileage uh, overnight. <laughs> it was uh, the way people voted by gender in various key races. And uh, here's white women, foot soldiers of the patriarchy. Brian Kemp, 76. Ted Cruz, 59%. Ron DeSantis, 51%. Then somebody else tweets, and then another person tweeted, black women voted 95% for Beto. White women did what white women do. And Ben Shapiro replied, so when black women vote 95% for a candidate, that's just good sense. When white women vote 71% for Cruz, that's sectarian partisanship. Okay, dude. That's something. Boy, there's a lot of dumb stuff on the internet. Oh, yeah, I, I got don't another, know if you've ever noticed. I, I got, and it gets retweeted a lot, too. I got another comment on identity politics. I'll uh, jam that in coming up. A little more of Gavin Newsom from his speech last night. Speaking of being launched on the national stage, Gavin Newsom is about to be a regular on the Sunday talk shows, I'll bet. Your meets the press. Your face is the nation. He will be a barb poking at Donald J for the next two years, no doubt. And the tangerine tornado will no doubt poke back. Ooh. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Armstrong and Getty. Maybe I should move to Nevada. Dead pimp sounds better than the live whores we have here in California. Oh, devastating. Whore being a uh, term politically that means you uh, sell your uh, your votes for either cash or just support. Not It's not a trade of your sex for Certainly not. Sex. It's a metaphorical description of political practice, Jack. Absolutely. Uh, on the other hand, somebody said, who lost... To the dead pimp in California and in Nevada, you couldn't go that and say, "Um, my opponent is deceased. <laughs> Vote for me." You can't get over that way, right? Democrats all proud of it. Black this, Hispanic that, Muslim this. They're electing dead people in Nevada, huh? Now that takes. But courage. as the opponent, you'd think. You have a strong argument. Surely I can pick up two, three points. Look. For being sentient. I'm above ground. Does that not count for something? Um, I'm not big enough to overcome the gap. Speaking of identity politics, I got a little uh, thing I want to say on that. I had a realization last night. But first, a little more from Gavin Newsom, who's about to be the governor of the state of California. 
and become a national rock in Trump's shoe. (laughs) And here's a little Gavin Newsom speech from last night. You know, it's been a, a tough two years, but tonight America's biggest state is making the biggest statement in America. We're saying unmistakably and in unison that it's time to roll the credits on the politics of chaos and the politics of cruelty. Now is time for going far and going together. Now is the time for decency, for facts, for trust, and now is the time for truth. Now is time for leaders to lead. And to those agents of anger determined to divide us instead of unite us, it's time to pack it up and for you to pack it in. Wow, Dr. Seuss. Oh, shut up! Uh, Our word of the day is pablum. Pablum. Dr. Seuss elected governor in California. Uh, really put a lot of effort. Well, he had nothing to do while he was running. All right. There's no... Nor for the last eight years as lieutenant governor. Yeah, so he's been free for a long, long time. He was up by 20 points, won by 20 points. So he, he came up with some cool rhymes. Agents, some, some... Agents of Anger are doing a surprise show this Thursday. It's going to be really good. If you can get <laughs> tiny club. Yeah, very small venue. If right. you can get tickets, I suggest you check it out. Yeah. yeah. Here's the identity uh-huh. politics thing I, I noticed last night. And I didn't even catch on to this till late. I'm watching the Florida governor's race closely. I've been watching it for, you know, since it got set up weeks ago. I thought it was really interesting. You got a guy who's modeling himself after Trump. He says the same sorts of things. Um, he's he's brass. He's brash. He's crass. He's, he does all the same sort of things. Champions similar. Uh, Gives people policy, nicknames. Yeah. Right. Has a super hot wife. Does the same things Trump does. Yes. And then you had a socialist running against him. And I thought, wow, will a socialist win? But all the media was talking about, will a black guy win? Right. So for the media, it was, will the first black man be governor of Florida? For me, I'm thinking, will the first socialist be governor of Florida? Mm -hmm. And shouldn't we be way more concerned about the policies and the political party and all that sort of stuff than the color of the skin? I am, but progressives tend to reduce people to their ethnicity. So at the end of the night... Which is horrible. It's racist. If he had wanted to bend, we elected a black guy, as opposed to we elected a socialist, Well, yes and no. You're half right. There were a couple of really interesting... I mean, uh, everybody would be interested in their stories, in their candidacy, minorities running on the Republican side. They got no attention. They got a tiny, tiny fraction of the attention of a Beto O'Rourke or an Andrew Gillum. Just like the the only black secretary of state we've ever had is Condoleezza Rice, a Republican. Right. The only uh, Doesn't and, count. And Colin Powell. Doesn't count, gets no attention. So the the progressive part was assumed, and they went with the identity politics part. You can't get any air as the first uh, black man running as a Republican for uh, the Senate in Ohio, for instance. God, I just Not think, a breath. I just think one of the biggest states in the country having a socialist governor would be a big story, a much bigger story than the fact that he's black. No. His skin pigmentation. Nope. Oh, and of course. Not in racist 21st century America. Of course, the belief is, saw these tweets floating around last night, he was supposed to win. Um, the race, the gov- governor's race in California defied the polls by quite a bit. California? Oh, I'm sorry, in Florida. The governor's race in uh, Florida defied the polls quite a bit. And uh, so it's already floating around the internet that it was the Bradley effect, which has never actually happened. What is, what is that? Well, it's, it's a term that has been used for decades. But if you go, if you go back, 
to my mind, honest people have pointed out that it never actually has actually happened. But it's used anytime there's a black person racing. It's the idea that um, you'll tell your pollster, I'm voting this way, but secretly you would never vote for a black person. So the Bradley effect is the polls can be misleading when there's a black candidate because people don't want to seem racist to the pollster. There's no proof that that's actually ever happened, including mm-hmm. going back to the Bradley race. Um, and it just seems nonsensical to me anyway. Who's lying to their pollster because they're worried about what they think? That Have just you ever seems polled. It's some doofus on the other end of the. That phone. just seems crazy to me. Right. People don't want to admit to their pollster they like Trump or aren't going to vote for the black guy or, or whatever. You know, it is possible that fifty uh, percent of Floridians didn't want a socialist as the governor. It is possible, right? You don't have to be a racist. To not want a socialist. I lie to pollsters, but not because I, I'm trying to conceal oh, yeah. oh, my yeah. identity. Oh, but yeah. it's like, oh, no, yeah. what? what oh, yeah. No, I don't I, like what you're trying to do. I've done that before. <laughs> How many times do you stop by an ice cream store a month? Twice, uh, twice a day, 60 times. I right. mean, you know, what, <laughs> whatever's going to throw off their numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, where's your favorite place to vacation? Haiti. In the middle of that erupting volcano in Hawaii. <laughs> I like the heat. You have any other questions for me, Polster? You want to keep going? So, I don't know. I just don't know. We can talk about the New York Times making a big deal of the fact that um, uh, Democrat Senate candidates got uh, quite a number of, of votes, more than Republican Senate candidates nationwide. It's misleading, has been pointed out by... Uh... Anybody looking at the numbers, but that is a popular meme on social media right now. Right, right. Two-thirds of all senators are not up for re-election. Two states have special elections, so they have two Senate races. California has a primary system that resulted in two Democrats on the ballot and no Republicans. So you get literally zero Republican votes. Right. Um, so for a couple of years, uh, lefty commentators have been talking about this meaningless number, writes Tim Carney in the Washington Examiner. It's an it's argument. part of their argument that the GOP control of government is illegitimate. And that you got to do away with the current system for for government. Right. Which would sow terrible, terrible seeds of anger in the country. You think you're angry now. Wait until a tiny, tiny geographical part of the country controls all of the politics of the country. So is our seat- you think the state of Jefferson thing has uh, got steam, which it doesn't have much. But, uh, yeah, there will be talk of sec- secession if you get rid of the Electoral uh, College and um, uh, two senators for every state. Which is being argued by people on the left, by the way, Democrats, who are the ones constantly worried that Trump is going to not honor elections. Oh, and not honor the institutions of the country. <laughs> right. Let's right. get rid of the Electoral College in the Senate. Are Seeds of Destruction opening for, what was that band? Gavin Newsom? Agents Mitch? of Anger. Mm, seeds of Destruction and Agents of Anger. Yeah. Man, bring your black eyeliner. Bring your earplugs. <laughs> it's very loud. wreck a chicka for six straight hours. I'm telling you, there's only one issue that matters to me. Prop 7 in California. Daylight Savings. 20-point win. Yes. People don't like it getting dark at 530 in the winter. No. Hate it. Hate it. (laughs) Uh, What clip should we play? Do we have more sound? We We do have a late-night joke-off on the Dems taking the house. Do you want to hear that coming up? Sure, why not? We can do that coming up. As long as we go in fully aware that it won't be funny. Oh, well, it's going to be something. And then we're going to talk to Deb Saunders coming up about 819. She's a White House correspondent. This is for the Las Vegas Review-Journal to uh, see how uh, Trump's feeling about today. 
what could happen from here on. You never know how Trump's going to react. He might full-on work with the Democrats and be a, a triangulator. Very well could happen. It's entirely possible, yeah. Because he's not a partisan, by any means. So, late-night joke-off. Late-night comedians taking on the Dems taking them back the house. Prepare to be amused and or angered. I doubt it. <laughs> but the, I doubt the first. Second, guaranteed. On the Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.